Good morning. First reading is taken from Matthew chapter 28 in its entirety. That's verses 1 through to 20 and can be found on page 1000 through to 1001 on the Pew Bibles. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Madeline and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading... From, is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, 
you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Generous Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your love and grace you have reached out to us in our sin and death and sent your Son as the second Adam to raise us to new life. Speak to us now, encourage us, comfort us, and challenge us by the power of your Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was sitting in the front office of a funeral director's in Eastney, waiting to meet one of the clients, and I picked up a glossy brochure and started to read it. And I must have laughed out loud, because the man behind the desk said, what are you laughing at? Not too many laughs in a funeral director's. I said, well, it says here, and I'm a co-op member, it says the death rate is dropping. <laughs> I said, from my perspective, it's 
he said, oh dear, oh, we've made a mistake. It should be that funeral rate is dropping because of the increased competition. Well, death after taxation and tax avoidance, legal and, and illegal, death is the most certain thing that we face in life. Death is a reality, it's an enemy that has to be faced, as Paul reminds us about, and Mike will be speaking more about that next week. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. In Christ all will be made alive. And whoever death is dressed up today, and it is dressed up in euphemisms such as so-and-so has passed away, death is still a reality. I visited a family and grandma said to her daughter, I'm sorry, darling, granddad's passed away. And the child said, where to, Grandma? And they all looked at me for the answer. I said, oh, a lovely photograph over there of your husband. <laughs> I couldn't answer the question. Don't dress it up. In contemplating the 100th funeral since I've been here um, this week, um, I think of conversations with people who've said, well, we believe that uh, Nanny's a star in the sky or Grandad's looking down on us. There's a sort of vague hope of something beyond the grave. And of course, if we want to know the truth and reality of um, the resurrection, where else can we turn to but that bastion of uprightness, truth and morality, the Sun newspaper. There it is. Heaven exists, the sun says so. And if Johan Cruyff had played for Manchester United, he'd be probably playing in goal or central defence rather than midfield. We can be sure of the resurrection because of what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we continue our theme of preaching on 1 Corinthians 15. Christ, Paul says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. It's in contrast with the view of so many today who say, let's eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's essential then that we come to some conclusion about the resurrection in our own minds, some decision as to whether Christ rose from the dead the reasons for that are outlined in the first nine verses of chapter 15, and whether, in fact, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead is central to our Christian faith. In the Apostles' Creed, in Anglican services, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And in the Nicene Creed at Holy Communion, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And the fact of the resurrection, resurrection has formed the basis of Paul's argument in this chapter. Because Christ was raised, our resurrection from the dead is possible. But Paul encountered some doubts amongst the Corinthian Christians. From verse 12, he says, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. It seems strange to us to think that some Christians in Corinth could believe that Jesus rose, but they themselves 
would remain dead. That's probably because they encountered the Greek philosophers at the time who believed that the soul was immortal and the body died. They were strongly opposed to the idea of the resurrection of the body. And Paul found this out when he preached at Athens, when he preached to the intellectuals there who scoffed at his his message of the resurrection of the dead. And even some of the Jewish Christians and the Old Testament teachers about the resurrection of the dead may have had their doubts. So Paul's readers were saying, yes, we agree that Jesus was raised from the dead. We just don't think the rest of us will, will be raised from the dead. But had the Christ- Corinthian Christians considered the fact that if you take away the resurrection of the dead, then Jesus himself remains in the grave. And verses 14 to 19 uh, outline the consequences of Christ not being raised from the dead. And time doesn't allow us to look at those, but if you have time at home, look at those six reasons. But basically, Paul is saying, if Christ isn't raised, then we're just wasting our time here on the Sunday morning. We might as well be out there shopping or enjoying the sunshine. The worship of God is ridiculous. Good news is a nonsense. Two weeks ago, Nigel Walker preached about Enoch, who walked his life in the faith of God. What a waste that was to walk his life in the belief in God if Christ had not been raised from the dead. We'd still be dead in our sins and we'd be offered no help in this life if we uh, have no hope in the resurrection. Some of us have had our lives transformed by the risen power of Christ. All of us can say that. But if Christ isn't raised, then it's, it's just our willpower that's done it, not the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And we are most more to be pitied. Boys in school used to say to me, Sir, don't you think you've wasted your life on something that's not true? No, I believe it's true. Christ was raised from the dead and is alive today. And I've no regrets about the lifestyle that I've led or my future. I don't think that's politically correct, but then I don't care. Um, That's the truth. That's the reality. Christ died, is alive, and I will live with him. And we, in Christ, will live with, with him. So we're not to be pitied. Paul says in verse 20, Now is Christ risen from the dead. We're on to the fourth slide, Jamie. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And here Paul calls the first fruits, uh, rather, here Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the dead. And in the Old Testament, before the Israelites harvested their crops, they had to bring representative samples of their crops to the temple to offer to God through the priest as a thank offering before the full crop could be harvested. And that's the image that Paul wants us to get hold of here. The idea that Christ is the first fruits offered to God as a sacrifice for us through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. And that all believers will come to be resurrected at the harvest of the believing dead. The first fruits not only preceded the harvest, they were the first installment of the harvest. Christ is the first fruits of those 
who've fallen asleep. He is the one who's been raised. We ourselves will be raised from the dead. His resurrection implies there's more to follow. The, the rest of the harvest of the resurrection of the dead, of the righteous dead, has been put on hold to allow opportunity for more and more people to be reaped into his kingdom. Christ's coming is delayed until such time as the whole world has heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is good news. It's not foolishness. It's the reality. Jesus died and came alive again. And those who've fallen asleep are those who've died in Christ, the righteous dead whose bodies are still in the grave. And since Christ's resurrection assures us of the future waking, it changes death into sleep. And that sleep doesn't mean unconsciousness, but only rest from toil and cessation from interaction with this world in which we live. Sleep isn't unconsciousness. The sleep of death isn't unconsciousness. If it was, then Paul is unlikely to have described death as being with Christ, which is far better. Rather, it means the body is asleep in the sense of death, the real person, uh, the body is dead, the real person continues until that final day and our destiny is fulfilled when our new bodies will be given to those who are in Christ. And since departed saints, and we ourselves as Christians today are in Christ because we believe and trust in him, we share with them in the communion of saints. There are brothers and our sisters, along with the angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven, as we share in the family meal. And we continue to love and remember those who died in the faith of Christ as they enjoy the presence of God and we await the day when we'll see them again. Just as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam represents humanity. His name means humanity. Human disobedience brought death into the world. Christ, the second Adam, brought life and immortality to life. I used to teach a module in personal social education in school about coping with loss. And at a meeting of heads of years and myself, uh, we were discussing what could and could, couldn't be left out of the program. And one teacher said, oh, we should leave out coping with loss. It's not relevant for the boys. I said it's the only thing coping with loss and the reality of death that each of us face for certain in our lives and that's true Christ himself brought eternal life into this world and all Christians will live through him and the occurrences of the resurrection are indicated in verse 23 each in his own order Paul says Christ the first fruits Christ will come again after, those, after that, those who are Christ at his coming, in other words, those who are in the sleep of paradise in God's presence, and those of us who are left, who believe in Christ, will be raised to life with him. All the commentaries I've read on this suggest that it's not my view, but the biblical view of how the Lord will act. Christ is the first fruits of those who are Christ at his coming, and that will be the full harvest. 
I'd suggest to you that Christ's resurrection is an accomplished fact of history. But still in the future, there's another historical event, Christ's coming. We don't know when that will be. We can't know when it will be. Even Jesus himself doesn't know. It's the Father who knows. We have to come to a firm decision in our minds about the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead, because without it, there is no Christianity both the resurrection of Christ and our own resurrection in the future make all the difference in the world. Jesus said one day to those who heard him, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the world's scariest words, depart from me, I never knew you. God won't ask us if we've been regular attenders at church, if we've been to Greenbelt or Spring Harvest or New Wine or Keswick, whether we've been baptised or confirmed, whether we've done the Alpha Course or Christianity Explored. But he'll ask us on that day, have you loved me more than anyone else? Have you loved my son, Jesus Christ? If we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we pass from death into life. We've already done that as believers. If you're uncertain about that this morning, before you leave church, talk to someone about it and have that same hope that we have, that Christ died, rose again, and that we will rise again one day with him. Let's bow our heads to pray. Thank you, Father, for the hope that you give us in Christ. Thank you that it's not a vain hope and that our faith is not futile and useless and we're not to be pitied. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us so we and all your children shall be free through Christ our Lord. Amen.